0: Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. I'm on a roll, butter flow, slow, immerse universe. I'm a curse. Mike's a wand, beats a pond. I traverse. Every song is alone. So listen to reimburse See, I'm flipping the script and giving you all whiplash. I put more in the message. Call up data, script hash. I'm lifting you in chat, so don't be so foolish. The chosen one, ready for a golden run. Foolish. We keep it sunny, rhyme funny, and again. Stop. My guest makes new money. Call him Hamilton. Rob, damn. I'm handling blob data, slamming the globs with bad beta, everyone knows I'm damaging slobs, ripping bandages off, these economies need help, cause their management's soft, dropping bodies in stealth, till the damage is wrought, I go crazy, no lazy, most days we flow swayzy can't fade me, best raise me, Galaxy brains. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, Head of Firmwide Research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. Rob Hamilton, CEO and founder of AnchorWatch, a Bitcoin insurance company. He's our guest and he's gonna talk a lot about inscriptions and ordinals uh, he's an expert and also Miniscript, mini script, a fascinating new development on Bitcoin, a new programming language that enables a lot of new features uh, that he's one of the only people on earth building on. Uh, he'll teach us about that. We're also going to check in with our good friend, of course, Bimnet of BB from Galaxy Trading. As always, we have a great, uh, slightly longer than usual conversation with Bimnet about markets and the economy that I think you'll find really interesting. Um, so look forward to that. But before we get into it, I must remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer on the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this. This podcast constitutes investment advice or recommendation offer or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Um, I'm feeling this beat Finn. We got a good one. Uh, let's let's get into the show. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet of BB from Galaxy Digital Trading. Uh, my friend, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. As always, and I'm excited to talk because it's been a it's been a pretty exciting uh, week. I remember last week we talked about um, higher for longer, a little yeah. bit of a repricing of the interest rate curve. But then there was some data that came out last week too that really caused equities to um, not do great. Um, yeah. What What happened?
1: Um, so you had a pretty strong PCE print. It that's the, a that's not CPI, con- what is that's that? That's Personal Consumption Expenditure. And, yeah. is the Fed's preferred inflation measure and it printed a .5 month-on-month, month, uh,
0: which is a really strong reading. .5 month-over-month month inflation?
1: Yeah, 0.5%. Wow. Point, point
0: that's what I mean, yeah. yeah. Wow, though. That's uh, that's notable.
1: Oh, no, that's, that's definitely pretty And then what, meaningful. you annualize that to get mm-hmm. to, like, the annualized? So. Yes. Yeah. But it's it's you don't annualize. It's the past 11 months of data combined with the Got current it. data um, to get your annualized. But that um, was a bad reading? Yeah. It, it basically confirmed what you had in the CPI reading, which is also uh, 0.5 month-on-month. And so, generally speaking, prices are rising at 0.5% month-on-month, around 6% a year. Uh, which is not good, (laughs) especially given that you've had somewhat tight monetary policy for the past, like, you know, nine months.
0: You'd think it would be having more of an effect. You you would would hope hope. it would be. Yeah.
1: Um, So right now, I mean, you know, today you got um, ISM prices paid that came in a lot stronger than expected. You had a 51-handle print when I think expectations were for, like, 47. So that's showing resilience in, in prices again. Um, and what you've had is a further repricing of rates, and so now you're looking at terminal rates that are around four, f- uh, sorry, five forty-seven, five fifty area, uh, which is higher than what any Fed person has really been talking about. Um, so this is really one of the first few times where the market's like aggressively like getting ahead of the Fed, yep. and that's kind of what's caused equities to uh, come off a bit. And I'd also reiterate that that. Cash is, again, a formidable alternative to owning any risk asset right now uh, when you can earn, you know, four or five, six percent on low duration stuff at at no risk.
0: Like, why take the the risk of going into a risk asset? Right. So. um, And the risk is just to be clear with like you're talking about like a treasury. Yeah. It's just government default. The the risk is that the U.S. government defaults. That's the risk that exists, right? Unlikely.
1: If you talk to an economist, they tell you that's the risk-free rate. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, yeah, honestly, if the government, U.S. government defaulted, it'd be probably the best thing to happen to Bitcoin in a really long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's I, one of these I, things. I, that's... I'm dead
1: ass. I, 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 I'm lifting Bitcoin hand over fist if the U.S. government is defaulting. I, I, there are some scenarios where it, it's causing like a big risk asset sell-off, but I think. If people are going to start doubting money and like the viability of money, like Bitcoin seems like a pretty natural. A uh, gold is probably the better. I mean, this is probably Go, the better risk adjusted trade. Yeah, um, in that instance, but um, Bitcoin you know, has a role there. I think. I think with respect to the U.S. government defaulting, we don't have to spend that much time. Right. Right. I just yeah, I just throw that um, out there as the. But yeah, it's really an event that. Is going to start impacting the market now. What it will lead to is uh, this thing called extraordinary measures that the Treasury adopts. Uh, ha- and haven't they, they already
0: been adopting? Mm-hmm, right. Yes. Yeah. We're already at the debt ceiling. Correct. But and they, so- but she, I think Secretary Yellen had said they what they can do those through like July or something yeah so technically, no, no, the politicians can,
1: can, yeah, they yeah, you can get through July, probably like September, yeah, um,
0: et cetera. but and at some point, obviously the 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 Congress has to figure this thing out, correct. We're talking about they the debt they the have money. to raise the debt but
1: something. well what what happens is normally, like the treasury likes to keep money um on the chance that they that have makes outflows sense. Yeah, right that makes sense. I think the minimum they keep or it, it fluctuates, but it's like they need to keep like five days worth of outflows potentially like in their account. Yeah. Right. And then a buffer, et cetera. And it it moved around with COVID and stuff because, yeah. you know, the government had more things that could possibly like spend money on. So what happens is the treasury is like, ah, uh, we don't have a huge debt limit. So we're, we're only keep, we're going to keep a minimum cash amount on hand. And what that does is that takes treasury supply out of the market. And it's, Anyway, so it's a weird, of, weird technical thing. But long story short, yeah. it shouldn't really impact the market that much. It's, like, well-telegraphed. Every year that I've had, I've been in markets, it's like, oh, shit, the debt, debt ceiling. ceiling. Oh, shit, the debt ceiling. Notice that one T-bill just spiked in yield by, you know, a yeah. couple of
0: basis points. Um, but they, they figure it out. Yeah, they figure it out. Anyway, yeah. uh, let's get back to right, the Right, you're talking about risk assets. Risk Owning asset. them over, over well. It,
1: so high level, we have data that's really strong prices that are still continuing to, to rise, um, but the prices that we're most concerned about are like the service sector um, related stuff, not the the goods. Yeah. Um, and the service things are still gonna be tied pretty closely to employment, and employment's still at record lows. So people feel- so they, Inflation's sticky.
0: Yeah, because people are willing to pay higher prices still, right? And, so, and that's because people feel, they don't feel poor. They don't. And, and, no, no, and that's because yeah. they have, what, jobs. good jobs? And credit cards. And their mortgages, if you have are a locked home, in. Yep. you're locked in at a low rate, and and home prices have been appreciating in a lot of places. Or not depreciating that much. Or holding pretty good, yeah. yeah. Um, we were just talking uh, before we started recording about this data that, that people are looking at, which is the new mortgage applications. Yeah, I
1: think they're they're down about like 40% year on year. And, and it's at, at their
0: at- lowest for decades. Yes, correct. So no one's buying a new, taking out a new mortgage, not no one, but very few people are taking out a new mortgage because the rates are so high. Uh, well, well, it, correct. Um, but it's also – there's just
1: – yeah. I but mean, the wealth effect, right? Because mm-hmm. if you
0: if you have a home already and you can afford the mortgage because it's locked in at a lower rate and the home is appreciating or holding its value and you have a good job, right? You're fine. Like you feel like you can spend money and so you do. Because your
1: disposable income Now, is... even
0: if you're losing money in real terms because of inflation, which many people are, right? Because real wages aren't actually keeping up with inflation – they're they, they not, but the other thing. But that, like, still though, you, it's the you feel like you're doing well, right? And that's so much of this is like, do you absolutely. feel like you can spend money?
1: Here's the other big problem that you know I don't think the average American or the average person has really kind of gotten their heads. But like, all the money people keep in their checking accounts and savings is earning nothing. Yeah. Right. So you're getting you're getting depreciated on your fiat if you're not in the, these right. bills at so this point. So you either now.
0: spend it now, or Invest in 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 instruments, right? Yeah. Like in treasuries or uh, but or keeping equities, it in theoretically. The, but
1: well, keeping it in a bank account is probably the worst thing you can right. do right now.
0: I will say, I saw there are some um, some of the brokerage firms, obviously, because they run like money market funds. And yeah, there are there are sort of cash like instruments like that, that that feel a little bit like a savings account. Um, yeah. But again, you're actually investing in like an institutional money market fund or, yeah, like
1: or bond like some, fund. Yeah. yeah,
0: so like, um, but yeah, the banks uh, weren't they asked? They were when they had the bank CEOs like when was it maybe in December or something before Congress? They asked mm-hmm. some some congressman or senator asked uh, them like why are why are why is my like a bank account paying point 0.1 percent interest? And they're just like oh yeah you know like we're competitive uh, yeah well, like they, blah 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 and then it's like we're taking all that money. <laughs> yeah, the I bank know, that's, is that's making really all what money. it is. Yeah.
1: But anyway, so (laughs) services inflation's hot. uh, Home prices they haven't and like rents um, they haven't been coming off aggressively. And in fact, like the last CPI print, we had a 0.8 print month on month on owner's equivalent rent, and we know that's backward looking. And uh, Nick Timrose, who's like the the Fed reporter at the journal, like all the Fed people like, he recently published a piece uh, earlier this week about like apartments. And generally speaking, like apartment rents have been coming down. And you should start to see that in the data a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing to keep in mind is, uh, well, today commodities are a lot higher. But... Like commodities have been getting hosed For the past couple I mean, of months
0: Energy in particular mm-hmm. Not like, gas Oh my gosh
1: yeah. Thank Absolutely. God for the warm weather
0: <laughs> Feels like I mean, that middle was the, of
1: spring in february
0: it literally does even today in new york where it's like a little chilly it's still like 40 yeah <laughs> it's not like 20 but
1: yeah i mean the whole commodity complex has come off so yeah. the the good side of things
0: has really remember when uh, lumber uh was like lumber, oh FTX yeah FTX launched lumber futures oh that's awesome <laughs> back then when that was what
1: didn't they launch <laughs> oh, uh, it was, god
0: it's crazy uh we should have known how degenerate they were separately um but let's go Hindsight, yeah yep. yeah um but yes the commodities are off the and the the mortgages are sticky people mortgages have are jobs. sticky, but
1: apartment rents are going to come down yeah the services stuff might stay sticky i mean i personally i think that the u.s inflation stuff is just a little overblown right now like prices will come down like having interest rates this high
0: like it has to have an effect it
1: has point. to have an effect and it's also ongoing quantitative tightening which is you know draining ninety five billion of liquidity like every month. Mm-hmm. It's also it's not just the U S. doing it. It's like globally, like everyone's trying to slow shit down. What throws wrinkles into all of this is um, the Chinese reopening. Yep. And so you know basically like today it was pretty big news. You had Chinese data that was really robust. So expansionary PMIs was you know the the headlines overnight. Um, and long story short, you've got a, one, a nation of 1.3 billion people that's been saving money for three years, and now they can go out and do stuff and spend money and not wear masks, etc. You know, people, there's some interesting terms that people like revenge spending.
0: I, <laughs> I think, think I, actually, stuff. I like that one because I feel like I did that when, when oh, our lockdowns absolutely. really lifted here. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so just and then mm -hmm. I'm looking at the block clock over my shoulder. We're at 237 here today on Wednesday, but um, you know, Bitcoin and crypto has been pretty resilient, and actually, Bitcoin's still been leading the way. I think we just updated our year to date numbers. Year to date, Bitcoin on a risk adjusted basis, still the best performer. I would
1: guess, it's it's better than forty percent on the year. Yeah, and
0: and still better than Ethereum, which has also been performing well. Risk
1: adjusted, that sharp is probably like uh, what. (laughs)
0: <laughs> something stupid yeah uh, like so so but but like even yeah. last week right you know i think it was the worst week in equities of this short year so far mm-hmm. um but yet bitcoin what came down from like like 24 8 to like 23/8? yeah no, I, like, I mean i pretty I just resilient here
1: i one i think uh i think folks in the u.s tend to get very u.s centric about how they think about markets yeah. and forget that you know, Bitcoin is a global asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think part of the, the resilience in crypto um, has been related to, you know, kind of the influence in Asia or, mm-hmm. or, you know, the crypto scene in Asia, right? With Hong Kong officially allowing yeah, uh, uh, unrestricted trading. Yeah, or, they
0: put out a big uh, regulatory framework yep. uh, that uh, lays Looks the groundwork gr- for yeah. how, how companies can operate and I mean, very granularly. This is the thing we've talked about is where, what the U.S. has neglected to do, but UK has now done, Europe has now done, now Hong Kong has done again. Comprehensive framework that makes it possible and, um, I dare say, even easy for crypto firms to comply and offer services, right? Rather yeah. than a bunch of gray area stuff, or, or God forbid, you know, prohibition outright. Um, no, I, I,
1: I mean I think that's that's been super constructive. Whether it's in Asia or, or UK, as, as you mentioned, it's also you've had a bunch of like Asian tokens that have done really well, like the, the Asian Polygon and and yeah. the AI stuff, and yeah, so, yeah. Um, and you know, Korea also has a pretty active you know crypto community. I mean, they're the people that pumped uh, Aptos. Yeah, right? Aptos, was a, uh, that's where they did their big um, conference. Yeah, Oh, uh, yeah. They
0: had their conference there in Seoul. Um, Absolutely. So, so a r- range of global factors also glo- being glo- supportive. Global
1: factors, um, that's really supportive. And then I also just think uh, you kind of just have to see who's left, right? It's an industry that came apart in last year. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're left with... A bunch of strong hands right right like all the people that right were to be selling... clear like the
0: coins didn't get destroyed they mm. got moved from like four sellers into buyers yes. and th- who's buying at those low levels well strong people long-term convicted absolutely right like if so you, you were move...
1: scooping up bitcoin at like 16 17 you yeah, you're not spooked by 18, like 24 000. 5
0: going down to 23 8 <laughs> at all oh no at all
1: you, you, like you you're thinking like five ten years yeah. down, down the line yeah um and, I mean, I, I I love looking at the weekly and the monthly Bitcoin charts. Like, if you're taking a step back and taking a real big picture of you, like, the chart says higher, not lower. Yeah. And, you know. Eighteen? Or it was what, what was the Bitcoin low? Uh, sixteen six, five? Even 16 lower? Four? Fifteen eight? Maybe Sorry, it printed 15, at one point. Uh, Fifteen five? On even. A flash? Or whatever, yeah,
0: right? yeah. Like during that act. But yeah, like it was 15, called sixteen. So yeah, we right. were at sixteen six for like weeks. It felt like yeah. at one point. But yeah.
1: Um. But it's it feels like a bottom
0: now. Yeah, it a does. Structural
1: bottom in, in Bitcoin, and I think there's a lot of investors that did not pay attention when it was at the bottom, and now you have a product that trades like there's a ton of dip buyers in it. Yeah. Like, to give you an idea, there's been one ten 10% dip this year in Bitcoin. It was very brief. Um, and then you've had a couple of, like, 5% dips. But this thing, for being a, you know, like a 60, 70 vol asset class, like, has give, given people very little amount of time to actually, like, load up on, on yeah, BTC at good and levels. Yeah. Right, if it's an asset that I mean, twenty k's got to be huge support.
0: You think huge, so? At this huge, point.
1: huge support at this point.
0: I mean, right now we're ranging between like twenty k and the two hundred week moving average, which has historically been huge support, which we're below, which is in like twenty five range, slowly coming down over time. So like that that feels to me like the range at the moment. Um,
1: yeah, twenty five k. Twenty five
0: just also as a mental. Uh, yeah,
1: no, I mean, I, I think conceptual I think, number. I think if you take out twenty five, you're going to twenty eight, but it seems like there's some strong resistance at, at twenty five. Um, I just think that it's uh one of those things that you need to own right tails in. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to own Bitcoin, but like I think you're supposed to own the right tail of, of Bitcoin, which is you know, Something, swinging right. options yeah. or stuff like that. Because I do think the the FOMO is going to be pretty real when this thing Once moves you, yeah
0: it's going to move it's going to gap yeah it's, <laughs> that's it, how and, it always has been to be clear uh, that's and, just looking and, at bitcoin in, historically in
1: trading terms the the way you're supposed to think about it it's always been spot up vol up yeah right and so when spot goes up normally volatility goes up with it because you get these like really gappy illiquid moves yeah. and fomo and people are short gamma and they got to cover Yeah, uh, and so you know i definitely think that there's there's room for that kind of move to happen, but it's gonna be really tough for that to happen. Absent risk assets yep. doing well, which is gonna be again really tough because a big, long story you're that. in you're in a five and a half percent interest rate environment I now. And so it's tricky. Like I want I Bitcoin, I think if we were in a two and a half percent interest rate environment it would be Easier. It would be. It would be a lot higher. It yeah, be, yeah, but, yeah, But you can say that with anything. And we got uh, the
0: macro thing to worry about. Um, that, that's deal. all we the can. The macros a big. It know metrics. it is for sure. Um, this is a great conversation, Bim. As yeah. always, great to have you. And um, we'll catch you next week, my friend. Thank no you. Problem. Welcome, Rob Hamilton, uh, CEO and co-founder of Anchor Watch. Uh, Bitcoiner and developer, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Galaxy Brains.
2: Longtime fan, uh,
0: happy to be on the show. I think fans uh, of the show will be excited to know that I think at the end of this interview, Rob's going to try his hand at the uh, lyrical profession. He's got a rap.
2: Yeah, I encourage you all to not rush to the end. You should savor the journey that will be this podcast, and then you can uh, clip that and listen to it on a loop as you make it your ringtone.
0: Um, so we're going to talk about a couple interesting things. Uh, one of the, I think the, it's so interesting. One of the first things I wanted to talk to you about was Miniscript, mm-hmm. which is a, a new Bitcoin programming language that can compile down into Bitcoin script, which is what Bitcoin uses. Yeah, um, you're one of the few people on Earth that's actually building something with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to talk about that in a second, and then we're also going to talk about one of the hot topics in Bitcoin, which is inscriptions and ordinals, these, yeah. uh, you know, for for lack of a better shorthand, Bitcoin NFTs. Um, digital artifacts. Thank you, digital. Casey would correct you yes, on that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, just uh, like, NFT is also such a terrible term, by the way, like the fact that this is what the Ethereum community, it's a technical term for the type of token it is.
2: Yeah, it speaks to just in general, developers are not good at marketing. Yeah. And the they kind of catch fire with their own terms and then everyone kinda of gets dragged along for the ride.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um and so and then we're gonna talk about Anchor Watch, uh, your venture um that you guys are building, uh, an mm-hmm. insurance company for crypto uh, crypto people for Bitcoin and ETH specifically, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's yeah, those are we have a full That's agenda. That's the agenda. We have a lot um, to dive into. So let's get into let's, it. Let's let's
0: talk about mini So sure. first of all you know, I remember Andrew Polstra actually had come to Boston Bitdevs. I know mm-hmm. I think he was doing the rounds cuz you sent me the one of him in London. Mm-hmm. This was now maybe like 3 years ago yeah. and um and so we were hosting we used to give up at Fidelity or one of our big auditoriums all the time for Bitdevs. Mm. Um like many good companies do. I, th- I know in New York uh, mm-hmm. I, I won't name the companies for privacy reasons, but nice big companies yes. often give space. Um, and and I went to this one, and I remember being like, "What the hell is this?" And it, it seemed super interesting, but then um, you know that was then then I it's the last I heard of it. And then, um, but it it's in Bitcoin Core. Mm-hmm. Some it's actually available for use. Yes, you're using it. Tell us what it is.
2: Yeah. So it, when Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin, he not only wrote the whole protocol on those different pieces, he also invented his own programming language that programming language is called bitcoin script and think of this as the instructions that you use to prove that you own a given unspent transaction output UTXOs as we call it and you reveal the information associated with that script and allows you to spend and when you broadcast a transaction to the network all of the nodes in the network run the bitcoin script to validate is this a good transaction or not so uh Bitcoin script is a reverse fourth like, uh, reverse stack uh, fourth like language. Uh, I would put it in the category of uh, a series of instructions, very simple. And a lot of the use cases that we use Bitcoin for today use uh, these instructions are called op codes, operational codes. And these op codes uh, are very basic in what we use today mostly op check sig. True, false. Is this a valid signature or not? Op, check, multi-sig. Is this multi-signature valid or not? In truth, there's 256 opcodes in Bitcoin. They already exist in – yeah, so a a base two number.
0: Yeah, what a great number too. Exactly. We love 256.
2: Yeah, so there's 256 opcodes. If you look at them, about 150 of them are not usable. Because Bitcoin, in its consensus, you can't change the rules once they're in motion. So there's a bunch of opcodes which are just total graveyards. If you execute them in a script, the script will fail. If they are even present in a script, they sometimes will fail, depending on uh, out of these 256. They all have different kind which of conditions. Uh, yeah, which some, one it is. Which one it is. Some of them will, though. There's 50, five zero, 50 of them which could have utility on a day-to-day basis. And what Andrew Polstra, uh, director of research at Blockstream, and Peter Will, uh, lead one of the – prolific lead maintainers of Bitcoin core yeah. uh, came together an understanding saying, if we could take a subset of these opcodes, can we make them interoperable in a way that we can unlock more complex Bitcoin smart contract language truly on Bitcoin? And this uh, became the project Miniscript. It started in 2018. I think there was live code for people to mess around with in 2020 when Andrew Polstra was making the rounds. And I, the biggest things I would want to call out is this enables things like... In a legacy multisig today, a two of three, let's say you have one key, you leave one key with your lawyer, you leave one key uh, with a custodian. Your biggest concern is, well, wait a second, what if the custodian and the lawyer run off with my money? All keys are equal. There is a flat, there is no hierarchy. With Miniscript, you actually could add governance layers using and and or statements. So and is really critical for, you could say my key signs and one of these other two. Right. Another example would be an or statement, which allows you to have kind of hierarchies of different security outcomes. The most straightforward one people think of is what's called a degrading multisig. Degrading multisig saying, let's say I have a five of five, but maybe after six months I haven't signed, it becomes a four of five, and then a three of five, and a two of five, and so on. And this leverages something which in Bitcoin is already natively supported today called a time lock. Time lock being you're going to have a certain constraint based on time passing on when you can actually unlock a certain spend condition. And when you take all of these uh, Lego bricks, it actually uses 20 opcodes. Wow. You get really advanced, nuanced smart contracts on Bitcoin that allow you to have much more... Uh, power and being able to program your money and how you're custodying it. And I think this is going to be a major step function going from single-sig to multi-sig, which happened around 2017. We're now entering this era now where the development tools are there and live where you can go from legacy multi-sig to mini-script. And this is how large institutional sums of money are going to be governed going forward.
0: I love to hear that um, multi-sig was a step change. And then and that's basically how all Bitcoin custodians uh, do custody. Some are, are are probably using some kind of multi-party computation tricks yes. as well. Um, but this, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you take a large custodian, You at, at its core, they have a multi-sig set up for the assets. But then they're applying those governance uh, features in their process, right? They're saying, well you know, the chief of compliance has to sign, right? Mm-hmm. One of them has to be him or, or, or her. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then two of the others have to be from the bunkers we have out in the world, right? Or whatever. Exactly. But they can't actually program that logic directly into the, the actual multisig. They have to apply it as a layer on top as part of their process.
2: Uh, 1000% true. And as a quick nod to Anchor Watch, the insurance company that uh, I am building, uh, we're building our own wallet called Trident Wallet, which is going to be powered and enabled by Miniscript. And our core thesis here is that we can actually take the smart contracting on-chain governance and have a hybrid approach of off-chain compliance and monitoring to make sure that uh, they're synergistically working together. So you don't have to... Uh, You can actually have like this is the chief compliance officer's key and they can sit in the hierarchy. And as opposed to being something that operates in meat space, it can operate in code and it allows us to further de-risk things and have really powerful use cases. Let's let's talk a
0: little bit about that de-risking. You know, I guess technically the agenda we laid out. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. But from an insurance standpoint, if Mm -hmm. you can de-risk custody further and provably so. Yeah. um, What's the benefit there?
2: Yeah. So the insurance infrastructure as it exists today in the larger cryptocurrency industry is very undercapitalized and I would call a bit uh, legacy modeling of insurance. You leave all of your keys at a single custodian. And because of that, it doesn't matter how fancy your cryptography is. You have a centralizing risk of all of the eggs being in one place. Right. And that centralizing of risk is toxic. To insurance and people that are paying for risk. So our thesis and our model is a multi-institutional custody model where you can have a distribution of keys. We have digital programmable money with Bitcoin. We should be treating this like the unique asset it is instead of something like uh, gold bars in a safe, which is really how it's being applied to right now. And that's why there's very... um, limited insurance solutions that are out there. And we believe that this is part of core Bitcoin financial infrastructure to be able to increase institutional adoption and have additional comfort as well. If you uh, have a small percent allocation for alternative assets as a portfolio manager or running a family office, you're already taking the risk of the price volatility and the fact that you could get hacked and stolen and lose your money. We believe insurance is part of that. Uh, Risk financing is a very critical part of just uh, ecosystem infrastructure that needs to happen. And if you look over the past six months, you can just tell that uh, this is the equivalent of uh, no underwriter ever would have touched these kind of risks. If you looked at FTX, they didn't have a cold wallet, right? You're paying for the risk even if you're not paying an insurance premium. You're just paying it. Uh, as a hidden cost. And mm-hmm. we believe that making those costs transparent and putting it out there on the table is the way to really move this industry to the next steps of being able to be integrated into the larger financial system.
0: That's great. I think, um, you know, when I, I haven't looked at um, crypto custody insurance in a, in a little while, but when I did um, a couple years ago, really all that was there, and you hear this, there's insurance, and so they got out of insurance on their hot wallet. Some exchange mm-hmm. may or may not. Typically, it's really cyber insurance that they're buying, right? Because yeah. that's how the insurance companies are thinking about it. Yeah. And they're not very big policies. They certainly do not cover today all of the assets that are held at these custodians. That's why it's usually like our hot wallet is...
2: Yeah. Because they're
0: only able to get like 50 or or $100 million of coverage at most. Um, yeah.
2: And they're managing billions, if not $10 billion right. plus in assets. Right. I call it fractional insurance. Yeah, So if you have a mass total uh, total loss event, you're getting paid one to two pennies on the dollar. It's not really insurance. Right. And it's, it's just really... Um, it's really unfortunate, I think, that our approach as well is thinking about wrapping this more and more of a traditional property and casualty wrapper as opposed to insurance. Cyber insurance is a very new and developing industry and it has like very hard to kind of price that risk, whereas with our leverage and ability of using hardware wallets, geographic distribution, air gaps, this is something that's a physical problem.
0: And you think you can quantify that and underwrite that risk, especially if they use some of the schema that you're developing.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah, so further distribution of just not uh, this is our security setup, but if you start introducing questions of you need to not only compromise one institution, you need to compromise many. Additionally, us at AnchorWatch being a signer, we are extremely economically motivated to make sure your keys are safe, (laughs) right? right? So you're also able to, in that distribution of risk, work with us and other institutions to spread this risk out to where it's not just – can I get social engineered and lose all the money at the company like we've had with very many historic hacks in the past? Or you maybe you have an exploit in a hot wallet, like, you know, if you remember back with um, the Bitfinex hacks and with Bitco, like you have someone that is able to kind of like through the back door, pull out a bunch of money where you have keys that were able to manage policy permission, uh, API keys that could manage policy permissions and withdrawals. And all of a sudden your safe wallet Right. has a massive barnyard that's door they want to, one to of run the,
0: through. Yeah, that's always been one of the interesting questions I've had for custodians, the MPC folks as well, right? It's yeah. like, okay, I get that the thing is very secure, but how, what about the mechanism that directs the thing to act? Exactly. Right? And that's, that's when you have those API breaches that, like, you know. Um, so I think... It's very interesting. I'm mm-hmm. also interested. I mean, just on miniscript specifically. Like, sure. are there any other types of like wacky things that this actually enables? Like, for example, we talk about covenants as something that you know you sure. got 119, you got op vault, you, get, mm-hmm. you can get some with any prev out. Um, some other proposals that get us towards a uh, a vaulted custody model or other covenants uses recursive covenants. Yeah, can we get any progress just through Miniscript on any of those ideas?
2: I would say what's interesting about Miniscript is no fork is required today. So we get to really fully explore what's right. possible now without a fork, right? So very simple things, uh, a relative time lock, which we mentioned earlier. So that very quickly- I love
0: that degrading custody idea.
2: Degrading custody, and but it also acts as like a dead man switch. So, I mean. very, so very specifically, you have two kinds of time locks in Bitcoin. You have op- Uh, Check lock time verify, which is an absolute time locks, meaning at block height 1 million, you can use this spend path or op check sequence verify, which is a relative time lock. And uh, very specifically, when you're thinking about the op check sequence verify a relative time lock, you could start having your degrading custody. It's based on when the funds entered the UTXO. And then you can start doing very interesting features of doing self sends and kind of like doing li- proof of life checks.
0: Yes, I like that a lot. And I like if I have, you know, um, a multi sig set up for my personal Bitcoin, right? And mm-hmm. I can teach my loved one or loved ones mm-hmm. to be able to access it in the event that mm-hmm. I die. Yep. Um, it'd be nice that it's like, well, let's say they screw it up or lose the key. Yeah. When well, in look, at least you might be out now, but in ten years, it'll degrade, and you'll be able to get it just by going to the you know, the um, the collaborative custody provider or someone like that.
2: That's exactly right. And uh, I think one of the other interesting pieces that's very underexplored, but it is in the tooling of miniscript or hash locks. And this is where you can get really interesting ideas of, it does not solve the Oracle problem, but if you wanna be able to have some sort of interaction with the outside world, a hash lock, it's used in the Lightning Network today for your justice transactions, but just to take a step back, I could have a message and I hash it and I push that hash into the Bitcoin script. Meaning, if I ever reveal the pre image that what created that hash, you can maybe unlock additional spend conditions. It's
0: interesting. It's really interesting. So, so secret spend conditions yeah, that I could you can have at a later time.
2: Yeah, so you can have a secret password where if that gets revealed, you now can unlock a certain branch. That's cool. great. Right? So, this is an incredibly underdeveloped space that I believe is going to be. A bit of a renaissance when it comes to what does it mean to build products and services in bitcoin whether they are decentralized ones whether they're formal companies like us this is really allowing it so that you don't have to be a andrew polster peter will wizard right you can actually have the accessibility of these dev tools and very quickly miniscript also compiles and optimizes for script size so it will go through your entire script spending paths Will allow you to make sure that you're using the smallest possible script, and additionally, um, the visualization um, of, wh- of the of the miniscript policies, you're able to look at a quick visual glance and verify your participation in a quorum. And one last thing is that script policies are composable, so you could have your own like internal companies like crazy schedule of like how does the money get spent and you can plug that in as a single node into a larger mini script policy. Wow. So you can have it be this one condition is met at this one company with its own crazy elaborate policy as a two of three. And what I love is just very simple things like I could have a two of three at my at me as the, as the user, a two of three at the custodian and a two of three of other parties as well.
0: You can stack them on top of each other and stuff.
2: Yeah, this really just changes the entire model what it means to have custody of everything. I love it. Um,
0: let's talk about inscriptions a little bit. Would love to. We talked. We had Casey Rotemore, uh creator of inscriptions, or mm-hmm. of the concept of doing the it. The Ord Father. The Ord Father <laughs> on our podcast uh, a few weeks ago yeah. to talk about. It's a great podcast. Uh, you should check that one out. Um, it's been a few weeks since then, though. Yeah. And I think we here at Galaxy, me, myself, but also on our research team and the market has learned a lot about it since yeah. then and really come to some conclusion. So I want to talk about that. And I know you've been very involved uh, and certainly very interested. Yes. First of all, what has been your involvement here? Because, you know, I think you, you hear Rob talking about Miniscript and in general, if you don't know him, our audience, he's a talented Bitcoin coder. So this is interesting. What
2: has been your involvement? I find it fascinating from a design space of changing what it is to use Bitcoin and interact with it. So from there, uh, my my interest actually started really taking off uh, when I went to Bitcoin Park last Wednesday. Uh, there was an open house night. When Bitcoin Park has a very quick shout out is based out of Nashville. You and I were there in uh, January for the mining summit. Yep. So every month they do an open house event, and this month was uh, open source software and. In using open source software. And I was on a panel specifically talking about building businesses that use open source software because Miniscript is not my invention. It is open source software. Right. And how do you build on that? So I was in town for that. And also the Bitcoin development kit team, the BDK team was also in town. And it was an amazing opportunity to work closely with them because uh, a lot of our backend infrastructure is built using that and having more time to directly talk to the engineers who are using that gives us a lot of great insight and in kind of exchanging of product roadmaps and different pieces like right. that. So that's my original intention of why I was in town. Right. It just, so happened that Casey was in town as well doing an inscriptions workshop now I uh, was traveling. this is the week of uh, February 7th I was uh, end of January was actually syncing up my ordinal node wallet to start playing around with it and it was fully live and ready to go so I had a mainnet node ready to go and start doing the actual live inscriptions and because of that I showed up to Bitcoin Park as like the one person who was able to do inscriptions live on site and then I started becoming a DJ uh, with taking requ- instead of re- taking song requests, taking inscription requests, <laughs> and people were giving me Sats cards, and this I was is like o-
0: OTC inscribing.
2: Uh, y- you know, I'm a horrible business person, I guess, because I was just doing it for friends and doing it at cost. <laughs> I wasn't trying to do anything. I actually haven't mentioned an inscription for myself yet. Funny enough, I but got
0: my uh, my avatars on there inscription it is. ten thousand eight hundred and eighty eight. Well, there pretty, you go. It's, it's a pretty it's low a great number, guys.
2: At ten eight eight eight. No, it's, it's a great number. I think a yeah. Picture of Alex Thorne is worth any money? <laughs> I think. uh <laughs> You could talk to your wife, and maybe she'll buy. <laughs> exactly, um, I yeah. Love that. So very fascinating, and playing around with all of it, uh, and then was it's a new design space. If nothing exactly. else, that's interesting, and that's what I find really interesting. It also, from a narrative perspective, changes what it is to use Bitcoin because Casey did it the Bitcoin way. He did it within the rules of Bitcoin. He didn't ask for a fork. He didn't ask for any new changes. He looked at it and he ran with it. And on a very quick technical level, the big unlock here was for the Taproot upgrade, BIP three four two, removed the script size limit. To be able to do more advanced Taproot transactions. The idea
0: behind this at the time, I I guess, and educate me here, is Mm -hmm. Taproot unlocks a lot of more advanced scripting. And we didn't want to – the Bitcoin developers didn't want to limit that. They want – and that could be like, I don't know, making this up, but huge multi-sigs or other weird stuff.
2: Yeah, someone – But this was
0: not raised. I think this was one of the weird things about inscriptions. The idea that that would also allow – Arbitrary data, a larger amount of arbitrary data to be posted. Yeah, that was not raised during the discussions about in the online debates about Taproot, and to me, that was that's actually pretty troubling that it wasn't raised and wasn't flagged because I think the Bitcoin. Even I put myself in this camp. I think if you told me that Taproot would allow arbitrary data storage mm-hmm. on Bitcoin, I think most of us would have opposed it. Yeah, it's now that it's here to be clear, I think it's very cool. And I certainly don't want to unwind taproot. <laughs> so, right. Like... It,
2: it is a really interesting point because this is one of the cultural hot touch points of Bitcoin throughout time. Uh originally like the op term was a lot larger. People started using uh bare multisig to be able to just push arbitrary data on chain. This is something that's been around for near the length of Bitcoin's existence. Uh and it's really interesting that people uh, forgot the, our history and culture a little bit to realize that once we opened up the the floodgate, so to speech, speak, speak, uh, people were going to use it for their own means and ends. The, the opportunity, I think, just now looking at how everyone's playing around with this is I think the NFT phase is kind of like the first just like very obvious synergistic use case. But there's... A lot of interesting use cases. I think it permanently it changes the security um, threat modeling and structure of what it is to run Bitcoin. And I think that's something that we haven't fully integrated with an understanding. The mempool may never clear again because at once after Vbyte, it's too cheap to push permanent data as a decentralized hard drive. Yeah. Decentralized hard drive is incredibly valuable. Uh, it, I, I think we're, it's going to take years for us to fully kind of wrap our hand around what it means to have this now as part of the protocol. Right. I love,
0: I it, it is, it is uh, it's normal that, you know, silly jpegs are the first that get put there especially given the the broader crypto market exactly um but I agree I'm I'm hunting for and thinking about what the other real use cases can be and and I I personally am pretty bullish on Bitcoin jpegs I am bullish on that um that is I mean look nfts are a large market in crypto um but I'm interested what else can be done I know Casey has talked about for example you can you can put like a JavaScript library in yeah. there and then you can have another inscription refer to that library. Yeah. I don't know what that means exactly, but it seems like you can we start have. putting building software that connects to the, uh, the chain and, and other interesting stuff. Absolutely.
2: Like that. Yeah. Someone already made an inscription parser in Python as an inscription. So you actually can invoke an inscription to look at other inscriptions. And I think, uh, as a very quick call and touch point, um, uh, the ideological perspective of what it is to be an inscription means it has to be endogenous to Bitcoin. Bitcoin as a system works because it doesn't make any external reference to anything else. The only thing that is an external reference is the miners make a loose association based on what time it is and how much time passed in between blocks. Yep. But that is all still enforced by proof of work, right? And there's actually... The mean time pass, the MTP, there's a bunch of technical ways on how all of the miners and the nodes check each other to make sure no one's lying about the time. All to be said, Bitcoin is this internal system that only references itself. Right. Inscriptions have to be endogenous to Bitcoin because people have already started talking about, like, oh, I'm just going to make a pointer and push it off to this other. Ch-. and okay, that does technically work and you can do that, but it is somewhat antithetical to the idea of what it is to have an inscription right. because uh, one of Casey's big t- touch points here and he's very sensitive to, and I, th- I agree with this, is that consumer protection understanding, people were buying JPEGs on ethereum not realizing it was just pointing to an s3 bucket somewhere right. and that one day that server could get shut offline and you're and what you thought what you bought is now gone permanently and what's interesting is that bitcoin is now this place where people are using it for data storage that has to be one of the pieces here i, I think the idea of also being able to push code and being able to have interactions of these uh interactions of inscriptions talking to other inscriptions it's so early in understanding what that means for the impact of Bitcoin, not just from a fee market and the block space is never being empty again, but what does it mean to have this decentralized hard drive that everyone's going to be able to use for putting their data and how it's all going to interact with each other. Yeah. And then the actual tagging of the individual ordinal sats. Uh, I think that's actually going to be one of the larger plays. is actually, and just finding rarer sats and stuff.
0: Yeah, I think um, I, I, the ordinals are the Satoshis and right. the inscriptions are the data. Yep. And part of what Casey did with ordinal theory and, and his ord wallet is not only make it a tool for uploading inscriptions mm-hmm. um but also cataloging the sats and making it possible to sort of bind the sat to the inscription. But here's here's one thing that we've been thinking a lot about and to me this is actually mm-hmm. when it comes to NFT use cases in particular mm-hmm. um a little bit of a uh um I don't say a negative it's an, it's it's a it, it's not really there, okay? So, like, you're right. So, like, you have um, NFTs on Ethereum, right? Sure. They're, they're actual tokens. Now, you're right. right. The data might not actually be there. So you got maybe no mm. data, but you have i – I'm going to say a physical token, but yeah. a token that actually is recognized as existing by the consensus right. protocol. That's right. On Bitcoin, you have the data is there, but not really a token. In fact, the token – the binding only exists if you run a separate layer on top and yeah. you say, we're going to look at sats this way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's a little deficient from a tooling standpoint for tokenization to Ethereum's setup, which is purpose built for this. But you have this digital stone tablet in the Bitcoin ledger where you can actually have data availability there in a much more uh, permanent way. So it's kind of like to me, I've been trying to figure out again, sticking just to the sort of NFT market use case as Mm -hmm. we know it today like which types of nft artwork might be better for one and not the other right yeah and, and i think there are some to be clear but that ordinal theory isn't it's not really a real thing right or is it how do you think about yeah, that?
2: yeah so it's interesting uh thinking through that i think if you're thinking about the token and wrapping a token as an asset wrapping it through more complicated smart contracts those are all things that more beneficial itself to ethereum because of the open-ended nature of solidity and being able to write the more complicated Right. And Uh, it's purpose built for this. Yeah. I I do believe, though, that there's going to be more wallet support over time and understanding the ordinal stuff, because at the end of the day, you're just it's a shared hallucination. Right. And if everyone can opt into it and understand that it can work. I
0: agree it can work. I agree. But I do think like it isn't a shared hallucination on Ethereum. Again, the token architecture. That's real. Um, sure. there's plenty of shared hallucination going on <laughs> in Ethereum <laughs> and elsewhere um, yeah. but not that specifically. Yeah, but I agree, I think you're right. I I think the if it's widely adopted, there. the ordinal theory like it'll then it will work. I agree. But yeah. I think that's one of the interesting things we've been thinking through is if you need like uh like token uh existence more granular and defined mm-hmm. or if you need data availability more granular and defined that may determine and sort of shape again thinking just about the jpeg market right sure what types of artwork might be more or less appropriate for bitcoin versus eth there wasn't that uh ability to even have that question until recently i think it's very exciting and interesting that there is that question but i don't think it's going to look exactly like eth's nft market
2: no this is what's really interesting and for me uh, i've been getting a lot of inbound questions and like how does this all work and i jokingly say you're now in my playground we're talking about bitcoin (laughs) right and the fact that all of this stuff is natively operated on bitcoin's utxo set and it uses bitcoin security i think there's a lot of new ways to understanding what it is to manage share um, transfer, right. um, doing marketplaces. I've been putting thought into, like, structure. How you might that. do that. Mm. Yeah. And I think, ultimately, the only tool that supports ordinals right now is the original command line imple- re- reference implementation. Ord. Ord. O-R-D. Yeah. And I think Which what's going what to Casey, happen, Casey you will have interoperability, though, because you can have shared consensus on these things. Right. And as long as you can have that shared consensus and and everyone agrees to certain value, like the token may literally exist on Ethereum, but uh, I guess maybe if you're thinking about like distributions of airdrops and other assets and doing that programmatically as opposed to manually, that could be maybe where that stuff comes in. I actually this is uh, a bit of a contrarian thing. I, I, I joke, I threw this out there and people started really hard pushing back on me. There's no reason why you couldn't take an ordinal sat. And wrap it into a token and put it on like Liquid or some other smart contracting platform and have all of that functionality of the token itself operating on a higher smart contracting layer. And then you bring the abstraction back down to the base chain. Yeah. Right. I think that there's no reason why you couldn't do that. And it allows you to have your cake and eat it too with the data availability in combination with the token representative of an asset you can wrap into other use cases.
0: Uh, It's very, very interesting. So we're talking about Bitcoin and ETH and NFTs. Yeah. One of the things I saw that you guys I guess you were doing it in Nashville yeah. was that Jason Williams, uh formerly I think formerly of Morgan Creek Digital but also a well-known crypto investor and and in general he uh he what did he do he did something to one of his board apes he had a board ape nft yes you know Yuga labs issued nft Uh, these are high value things first of all yeah what did he do
2: so so casey dropped a tweet saying the first person to permanently burn their ethereum uh board ape yacht club or crypto punk as a one-way push over to an inscription will be an absolute legend And then Jason tweeted as a reply, help me. (laughs) He wanted to do that, and I saw that. I was like, uh, and I tapped perfect kind of guy for it he's yeah. a well he's
0: a well-known guy he's been in crypto a long time he probably he can have, you know if it somehow failed like or whatever he would he'd be okay
2: he did an interview uh, talking about this and he said it's kind of like throwing a Lamborghini into a trash compactor it's really fun that's how he <laughs> described the whole interaction so uh i told casey i was like hey i have someone he wants to burn a monkey let like, and casey was like are you serious and i was like yeah no i i know him like he wants to burn the monkey and then i was like what do we do he's like we write code right now let's we, go we, we write we make <laughs> and, it possible and he we he, we friend to the corner and we were uh, this is at bitcoin park at
0: by bitcoin the way at bitcoin park in nashville again shout out bitcoin this park like if February you're in nashville 10th. you've got to check it out um rod and matt have done an awesome job with that thing love that it's kind of like a bitcoin we work yeah. uh but it's super nice also i was actually i thought it was gonna be more like a frat house but this is like top tier space
2: it's exceptionally clean nice space uh i am a national member so it's kind of like a, if you come into town i get to use that as my co-working space for myself and my company yep. they put on a really great show but uh so, casey pulled so you me so you're
0: there you guys are so now you're now you're
2: coding yeah so now we're coding so we start talking about okay how do we make this reference pointer and we're because you don't about... want to
0: just send this. Was why the, the, a lot of the sort of like, um, you know, they didn't know a lot of the Ethereum criticism of Jason was, Oh, you didn't send it to the burn address, but like
2: mm-hmm. explain what you guys built. You're in our house now, you're playing by Bitcoin rules, so we're <laughs> not playing by your Ethereum rules. So, very specifically, you want to have a one to one uh relationship between an inscription, uh, with the ordinal client on Bitcoin in an Ethereum address. So Casey and I were discussing about what's the proper way to do this. And we came to the conclusion that each inscription ID is unique. And what you can do is you can hash that and truncate it and map it to specifically an Ethereum address. And the way this works is you take your inscription, you make it on an ordinal client, you hash it and code it using what's called teleburn, uh, Casey's term teleburn, teleport burn. And, uh, we sat there and he ran it through the he, he wrote the code of the function it was a uh, pretty straightforward uh, don't want to get too much in the details, you take a hash of the inscription ID and you truncate it to, so it fits to an Ethereum address. So it's create, a unique one-to-one you, you pointer. You
0: create an Ethereum address. And you
2: create an Ethereum address deterministically from the, yeah. your inscription ID to prove for a fact that you didn't like your, Jason's not holding the key anywhere. Right. And Because you're only deriving a public address. You, right. don't, you don't
0: know the key that underlies it.
2: Exactly, yeah. And it's very straightforward to do as a code because uh, the original Ethereum client did not uh, encode a checksum. If it's all uppercase understand. or all lowercase, there is no checksum in Ethereum. Interesting. Very bold design strategy to let someone typo yeet off their entire net worth, but that's what you know <laughs> Vitalik decided is the best course of action. So we use that to write less lines of code. Uh, so we uh, went through this entire process, and the first thing Casey did was he took his Rotomore.eth and he ripped it to the genesis inscription. Because he wrote, he's only made one inscription, which was the Genesis. That was the inscription. only one he's done. That's the Is only that one really he's cool, done.
0: that really cool, like a, um, a sort of Aztec-looking skull. Yeah, yeah like Day uh, of the Dead. Done, like, yeah, yeah,
2: like it's very cool. I love yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. So that's the Genesis inscription that Casey made, and he he made. And the, he burned his .dot eth address to that inscription. Yeah. So now he theoretically.
0: Uh, uh, so okay, let's go back to Jason though. Like, so Jason burns this punk. And reissues it to himself or inscribes the image of board it. Bored
2: Ape Yacht Club. It's a monkey. Sorry, sorry. The monkey. the monkey. Not have the I have some respect my, my for the blonde fault. Don. My fault. That's um, the nickname he has for it. <laughs>
0: the, so his board ape uh, is now sitting visible on Ethereum in this address that he provably no one... Yeah, he probably doesn't control. Yeah. Could you could you uh you know dice roll and somebody could just generate a new address and theoretically come up with the private key for that address on ETH?
2: Is deterministically possible. Uh if you've ever seen those addresses on Bitcoin, though, like the one yeah, Bitcoin yeah, Vanity year, addresses vanity addresses that are so long and arbitrary, you just know for a fact it's like hiding in a needle in a haystack the size of like the yeah. universe. So it's
0: possible, but it's very hard.
2: It's computationally possible, but right. That's and,
0: that was one of the things that it's not specifically a dead address. It's I mean, just one that we prove Don't have the key for.
2: It's one of two to the one hundred and sixty possible addresses in Ethereum. Yeah. So, so at that point, uh, you're you're equally likely just to find Vitalik's address or you know Coinbase's address, right? You're hiding in such a large stack. Like that security assumption is like at that point, you're rolling a dice so many times, you're equally likely to find any other Ethereum address before you even find that one that actually has. So he
0: destroyed. Effectively, it, now it still lives on ETH You can see it. it. He teleported it's, it's,
2: it. It's, it's ascended to the Bitcoin blockchain. It's a one-way
0: bridge, basically, what, what has been created It's a here.
2: one-way bridge, and uh, it's not been destroyed because it's living now as an ordinal. It's an inscription in an ordinal on right. the other side. You're and right. It's is, actually
0: now on a digital stone tablet, one that is the most secure on Earth.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of ascended.
0: Pretty funny. I it's, mean, it's...
2: It's I mean, very this, interesting. this is a
0: troll, right? I mean, Jason's no, trolling here.
2: I think it's a very legitimate statement. And uh, we're already talking about this idea of like art and like, where does it live? All of the, like the ordinal client is a shared hallucination, right? Like there is nothing in Bitcoin code that says this is ordinal number this. This is all art and aesthetics. And these are all things that are cultural movements. So I, I would push back and say that it's a silly troll because I've had at least five to seven different people messaging me asking, can you make me a Teleburn address for my asset? People are starting to run off with this and understanding uh, that you want to have permanence of your asset, this is the way to do it.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of issues at play. We're going to, we've talked to some of them at Casey. Uh, with Casey, uh, we, we've got a report we're preparing on inscriptions and ordinals that mm-hmm. sort of documents for those who haven't been in the weeds, uh, you know, say, on Bitcoin Twitter and elsewhere on the debates around, like, is this good or bad? Right. Um, I'm not going to preview too much of that except to say that I think on a net basis, we're very, very positive on inscriptions, both mm-hmm. for the network, for the various use cases, mm-hmm. um, for the security of Bitcoin, for a whole bunch of reasons. So yeah. Let's not hash those out. But yeah. um, I it really is, I think, it's very, very positive positive and interesting that now bitcoin and bitcoiners are playing in this large market i mean nfts did like 19 or 20 billion dollars in trade volume in 2021 alone which is you know about half of what the art Basel says that the world's art market was um we're
2: not playing in it we're gonna own it yeah Bitcoin's gonna own this this is where like i and how early this is i think we now have, like, I, I would say also a larger capital base of people that are playing around in Bitcoin, the tooling and the developer workspace. Like, this it's is early, but it's coming. It's early and it's coming. And it's, uh, this is going to be the cultural marks. like, you get to, you know, th- this stuff, like, the cat's out of the back. You're not gonna be able to put this back in the box. And I think you have the synergy now. I've never seen simultaneously people in Bitcoin. Like, I've had a lot of Bitcoin, um, people who do. Uh, longtime community members, people that are very involved in the space that are begging me to work with them to send inscriptions. Like they, like th- th- <laughs> this is this is culturally out of the gate. It's like, really
0: interesting, though. There are there is there is still pushback. So we're going to th- this is creating a very healthy and interesting, robust discussion around what Bitcoin is supposed to be used for.
2: Well, this is the thing. Bitcoin is. Bitcoin yeah. exists. And it's it's very ironic to me that people uh, talking about this decentralized, like governless movement, you know, Bitcoin taking pride that code actually is law, right? That was always the jab at Ethereum. Like, well, code's not law. Yeah, right? because you guys, you know, you, yeah, the you, you, you undid the rollback. Yeah, right? you
0: did the DAO hack. Uh, and, uh, Right. Yeah. So technically, but, I believe they refer to that as an irregular state transition.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> no, totally right. I, that's what the marketing team came well, up because with they didn't consensus. actually,
0: uh, in their defense, yes, they did. And and that's it a wasn't tec- a literal rollback. They didn't undo. Yeah, chains. they didn't actually roll back the blocks. They actually just dipped into them and reversed yeah, specific things.
2: It's also not a rollback if you just actually give me all they of Satoshi's just stole coins.
0: funds from addresses. Well, what that's what I mean. mean yeah. If you just give
2: me all of Satoshi's coins and not roll back the chain, I'm totally fine with that right, too. Exactly. Right. It has the same economic outcome. I like that. But the point being is that this was all done within the design space of Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is for enemies and has to be an adversarial workspace and i think genuinely the only option less is if you don't like it you can ignore it or you can fork it and you can ignore it you that, absolutely can you ignore. you can it.
0: discard witness data you can only validate uh you know up through assume valid you can use the checkpoint you can yeah there's you a can lot not of... run ord. you cannot recognize ordinal theory there's plenty of ways i think to ignore it
2: yeah and i, I think it, the responsible thing to do if you're an ord disrespector is to give it Give it a couple months, maybe you're to understand, is this a, is going to die? Because a lot of critics would say this is just a fad and everyone in six months is going to be crying over spilled grapes. Totally possible. Yeah. I don't think likely or probabilistic, but it could happen because so, yeah. you don't want to hastily have a fork. But I think genuinely if you're trying to uh, change this, you want to fork and maybe decrease the block size because you don't want to actually fork out ordinals because then you're just going to have other ways of embedding the data. Right. And actually the way that Casey's done this with witness data is actually much more healthy for uh, the blockchain as opposed to storing it in like different UTXOs. Right, it's extremely
0: elegant, the solution Your node
2: doesn't have to validate it. It's wrapped in an op-false-op-if statement meaning that your node never has to validate the JPEG. It. It, it, it does skip it. Yeah. It literally does skip yeah. it. It's not signature validation that needs to take into consideration. Forking is the way to do this with a decreased block size. Yep. I think that's the only way that if you're going to maintain consensus and try and build a coalition, it then does have... Um, Uh, Pete Rizzo I believe calls the Gen's paradox in that the moment you try to like change this behavior and move it out of Bitcoin it makes the ones that predate that more valuable so this is a real structural problem that you need to start thinking about of like it's an evolving market. It's an anarchic, leaderless movement, and yep. you have to understand that if you want to do a change, you can do it, but you have to build, a, start building a coalition. That takes that takes time. You don't unilaterally just come down from on high and say this is no longer allowed because that's not how Bitcoin works. Yeah, the miners love this too. So you have a large percentage of the it's users a large that like this. That likes There's it. a large coalition that likes it, and the only thing I think that could possibly be done is a block size decrease. You're not going to be able to remove this, though.
0: Yeah, not without rolling back essential features like Segwit and Taproot that people want for other reasons, right? So yeah, It's and, basically impossible. And
2: you could try to do very specific edits of like removing ordinals, but then they're just going to find new ways to encode it. And then so the, it's a cat and mouse game that you're yeah. never going to win. You're better off. I think the easiest way is the block size decrease.
0: Um, Rob Hamilton, co-founder, and CEO of Anchor Watch. Before we wrap, you're going to wrap. That's right. Rob's written a rap. He's challenging intangible coins here. Oh, no uh, challenge.
2: Just an uh, ode of not respect for, for the medium. This. He's
0: going to do it a spoken word. Let's yeah. hear it, baby.
2: Check it. I got something new. That'll keep your Bitcoin safe. You better not snooze. Trident wallet. Powered by Miniscript. will make sure your Bitcoin is secure. Do not trip. Miniscript is the key. Let me tell you why. If you sink on a boat, I'll keep your coins dry. <laughs> we'll set up a contract. A smart one at that. It'll have conditions so your Bitcoin won't go splat. <laughs> with time locks, we give you more control, different spending conditions as time takes its toll. Let's go. while it has got your back with secure code. Your Bitcoin's insured safe in your node. So tune in today and give the show a listen. You'll learn about Bitcoin and Anchor Watch's mission. It's an honor to arrive on Galaxy Brains. Missing a chance to do an intro with Alex? You gotta be insane.
0: Let's go. Rob Hamilton, CEO, found, co-founder of AnchorWatch. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks Great for having you. me on. That's it for this episode of Galaxy Brains. Thank you to our guests, uh, Rob Hamilton and Bimnet Abibi. Uh, This is our 50th episode and we love making the show for you. It takes a whole team of people to do it. Um, So thank you to Phineas and Badir and Jesse and Kat and Sebastian and Sammy and Xander and Ellen um, and many others who have helped us. Um, And thank you to our listeners for joining us every week. We love putting the show on for you. And so we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.